0: Welcome back to Revolution Solution. This is Cody. Jared. And uh, today we are excited to bring you this interview with someone whom Jared and I deeply respect. Uh, Nicole Sauce is the host of Living Free in Tennessee, and you can check out her business Hollerose Coffee. Uh, both of those are linked in the show notes page at revolutionsolutionpod.com. Uh, so we asked Nicole all about what living in the hauler is like and how you go about getting an income and homesteading at the same time. Talking to her was such a blast, and we hope you enjoy it and find it useful. And then to uh, do a little bit of housekeeping here, um, Jared and I both have some referral codes that we'd also like to share with you. So I've got a Fold app link also in the same show notes, and um, Jared has... Butcher box.
1: Get your Bitcoin, get your meat. What else you need?
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, So the Fold app gives you sats back. It's basically a prepaid debit card, and it gives you sats back with every purchase. And then it's got this, like, wheel that you spin every week or whatever, and it'll give you uh, sats for that. Um, And when you use my link, you'll get 5,000 sats upon sign-up in your fold app and then uh i think it gives me like times 25 on whatever the numbers on that wheel are so uh i hope you guys uh are looking to f- you know stack more bitcoin heck yeah yeah
1: and then with the uh, butcher box referral code you can get free new york strip steaks for a year plus 30 dollars off your first butcher box order at least that's the way ButcherBox sells it. I think that New York Strip Steaks is exchangeable for whatever you choose.
0: Nice. Yeah, but that sounds like correct. a good, de- good deal. So, all right. Yeah. Um, enjoy. Welcome to Revolution Solution providing you with solutions for your revolution to be a free person in an unfree world. Join us in our pursuit of sovereignty through permaculture, technology, and community. So welcome to the show, Nicole
2: Sauce. Hey, guys. I'm glad to be here.
1: <laughs> awesome, glad to have, glad to have you. Um, we so, better have some fun tonight, though. I'm just saying. Oh, that's the intention. I mean, you you must have seen the final question. We got to throw a silly <laughs> one in there at some point. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, so just to start with, I'm sure us being a smaller show, folks are going to come from all over, um, especially because we're trying to kind of pull from all over the map. Um, so if you could, just for our five listeners, tell everyone who is Nicole.
2: I'm 100% certain you have more than five listeners, but I I came to Tennessee from Oregon to help start a free market think tank and just fell in love with the state. I was supposed to be here temporarily. Next thing I knew, I had a homestead in the country And had learned how to process chickens and was starting to attract a group of like minded people. By like minded, I don't necessarily mean politically like minded, just the same priorities in life. And we ended up building an unintentional, intentional community where we have a close neighborhood who helps each other out. In addition to that, I love to roast coffee. I have a podcast, livingfreeintennessee.com. And I'm just really interested in understanding how things work. So if you start digging into my background, you'll find out I was a corporate facilitator and a whole bunch of other things. But that's who I am in a nutshell now. I just, I love the community aspect of, of being out in the country and interacting with, with real people on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. Can, can I uh, say my first uh, experience listening to you was I think after, because we, we started talking to some friends down in Texas about the same thing. And so then I heard you on Jack Spierko's podcast maybe a month later. And I was like, oh, there's already somebody doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, I, I definitely wanted to at least talk to you at some point about what, what's going on over there.
2: Yeah, there, you know, there are a lot of people doing what I do. I think the, the our, our culture is ripe for a return to, to normal, which, which I see it as normal when neighbors help each other despite differences of opinion and, and have some shared priorities. And, and somehow our society walked away from that in the last 50 years. And there's no reason not to go back to it. Definitely. It's like, we're kind
1: of all just waking up from this slump, you know, like we just kind of been coasting along for so long as a society. And now it's time to get more intentional. Exactly. That's awesome. So how long have you been free from direct employment? How long have you been like, managing on your own, so to say.
2: That journey has been longer than you would think um, because I walked away from direct employment in the late 90s, I think it was, early 2000s. Oh, wow. And it's been an up and down thing. And what I learned along the way and and why I started my podcast was that you can walk away from direct employment, build a thing, and develop a job you hate for yourself where you are constantly slave to the requests of the people you've hired and the people who you do business with. And so I may have walked away from direct employment, but it wasn't till about 2016 that I walked away from being, being enslaved by my commitments.
1: Interesting. So what was the, the biggest difference between how that looked when you still felt enslaved your commitments to that time in 2016 when you felt more free?
2: Well, I had started a nonprofit that was working on one of my passions, and I was the president of that nonprofit. And my role was to hire and fire people and keep them accountable to schedules and to raise money. And what, what I wanted to do was help people communicate better and teach two very different things. And that's what the nonprofit did. So it seemed like I was doing all the right things, but I was doing all the wrong things. And what that meant was that my schedule was slave to donor meetings and, and all of these administrative functions that I don't love doing. And I hired people who got to go have all the fun and work with the people, you know, work with the customers and teaching and training and developing marketing plans and those sorts of things. And that's when I realized a the problem with nonprofits is your feedback loop is not from your so you have like two customers. You have your donors and you have the people you're helping. And your feedback loop comes from your donors, but the people you're helping are actually a better feedback loop but you don't have that money feedback loop in there from the direct customer. And, and when I realized all of that, I was like, what, what have I done? I have absolutely no creative outlet. I'm totally a creative person. And I like popped on my microphone cause I was a rock musician. So I had the equipment and I just started talking. And next thing I knew I had a podcast and a following and I realized I was, as a result of building a life I didn't love, I was developing health problems and I was developing a heart condition. And the day I decided, I didn't quit that day, but the day I decided, okay, the operations person can run this organization. You've got me for year for a year at donor meetings. I will help you deliver marketing services. I will not take a salary. You have one year to pay for your salaries and I'm out. The day I decided that, my heart palpitations and all of the stuff that they were doing, like echocardiograms for went away. Yeah. yeah. So it really
0: sounds like for you, uh, the first time was trading one form of slavery for another almost.
2: Yeah, you can do that. You can go and start your own business and be a slave to your own business if you are not purposeful about designing the lifestyle or the role you want. And that's mm-hmm. what I learned from that. And, and so moving forward, I mean, I went from a really nice salary to no salary at all and selling eggs for $8 a dozen, which is not a large salary at the scale of of ducks I have and, and slinging beans. I was already slinging beans at that point and I just started selling more coffee beans and it was a shotgun approach for that whole year. I did probably eight or 10 different things and decided which one I liked best.
1: Nice. Okay. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I'm I'm probably going
0: to be following that same model myself because I'm a home brewer and like I purposely avoided at my day job like getting into any sort of management position because I, mm-hmm. I saw the same thing. It's like, well, I can be the slave that's mad about it, or I can be the slave that helps my employer. Now I'll just stay where I am <laughs> and I'll I'll keep home brewing and doing everything I enjoy, you know, and not get on the yeah. bad side of my coworkers.
2: Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's not a bad choice if you're doing the things you love. You don't need to be management if management is not what you love. Yeah, you do need if you start if you're doing your own thing, you do need to manage your stuff. And like I'm before this, this podcast interview, I was running numbers on, you know, income, profit and loss stuff because you need to to analyze that and make good decisions. But that's not what I do all day, every day, while also trying to raise millions of dollars from from donors. I, I don't make millions of dollars. I don't raise millions of dollars and it's all fine.
0: Yeah. So, okay, so moving on from that, uh, what, like, on the outline, we say, how do you make a living? And then I put in parentheses, what does a post-slave job income stack look like? Like, what did you start with? And how did that kind of
2: grow? What it looked like, when I figured out that you have to build your priority into, into your, like, your wellness priority or your mental health priority into it, was that I did lots of things, selling duck eggs, selling meat, doing the podcast and selling memberships, selling roasted coffee, doing presentations, doing training, building websites, uh, doing corporate facilitations. I did all, I did those eight things that year. And I did not make enough money to cover my expenses. So then I also was living off of a pantry that I already had built out because I'm a homesteader. So, you know, there's food, so at least that was covered and launched a newspaper like a local newspaper and was doing ad sales and it was pretty crazy that first year. And then at the end of the year I took the week off I usually take off between Christmas and New Year and looked at what where is the profit? Where is it coming from? And I during that year, I also got really good at not spending any money on anything I didn't need, which is not a bad exercise to go through anyway. And then I came out the other side realizing my passion is the podcast, and I like building websites, and I've still build them for money and they make me good money, but eventually that's going to be a completely unnecessary job because the tools that are being built to build websites by people who know nothing about coding get better every year. And so I can't ever count on that. But what I can bring to the table is I can help people develop a good marketing position. And so I've structured my web development work more as developing your content first and then we build the website so that you're so I can help you develop something that might actually reach clients as opposed to just build a random website with with bad words on it and no purpose. And, you know, then you're screwed. So that's Mm -hmm. still on the table. And then I thought I would never roast coffee for money. And I went to Jack Spearco's 2017 spring workshop, gave a demo on how to roast coffee in a cast iron skillet, told everybody this makes me, you know, two to $400 a month. And that's all it'll ever make. Cause the next step up is $20,000 of equipment and I'm not doing it. And somebody walked up to me afterwards, Brian Norton from food forest farms. And he said, you know, I have a buddy that does this interim commercial roaster for 3,500 bucks and I launched a Kickstarter, raised the money by pre-selling coffee and hollow roast coffee has turned into 50% of my income at this point. Wow. So, you know, I, I lied to 80 people at Jack's and then launched a coffee business that I love. I love it to this day.
1: That's
2: awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It seems to be a consistent theme is just that ability to pivot as you see the need and that's something Mm -hmm. that comes up with all like entrepreneurial content you know folks that uh talk about starting your own business and keeping it going for the long term it's always about finding that niche to pivot into like especially with the web development as you're kind of being priced out of the market by free software you got to keep focusing on that human touch that you know a a program can't necessarily pick up on
2: right yeah and it sounds like
0: oh sorry
1: go Go ahead. ahead No, you go. Oh
0: well, I was going to say it sounds like you didn't go into debt in order to facilitate that growth either.
2: I I had some debt the first year.
0: Okay, Although I I allowed
2: worked. myself to use credit cards for for basic necessities if I had to, mm-hmm. and and that's and here's why that happened is unlike other smart people who stay out of debt and put savings aside, I had zero savings, so I made a boat ton of money in my other nonprofit job. And I was away from the house so long, I spent a, more than a boat ton of money on basic homestead maintenance things that I can do. And so when I came into that year, I had zero savings. And I came out of that year about $3,000 in debt. And, and that's not something I'm proud of, but I don't want to hide it because it did happen. And it's because if I would have had you know, the basic safety net of five or $10,000 that a lot of people build by just saving 10% all the time, which you should totally do. (laughs) You know, just so I could do as I do, not as I say, or do as I say, not as I do thing. Um, I would have been completely not needing to go into debt. I would have had to tap into my savings though. Wow. So I had to I had to dig out of that pit after that. It was it was a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I didn't have to buy toilet paper for that first year
0: though. (laughs) Yeah. You know it's funny. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's funny because that's something we just had on another friend of ours that we were just talking about um, prepping and how that can be used as a pseudo savings account Um, because I had the same issue. I've been I'm still I've been off work for a month with a back injury and I just barely went to the store and I've been fine for that same reason. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's a big thing is is when you can when you can live off your your cushion of stored things that's also a savings account but a savings account is also helpful you know i (laughs) since then i like that was the year where after that first year and i looked at where i'd landed same thing in that break between christmas and new year's i was like no matter what happens 10 percent goes into savings and if possible 20 and and that like making that a habit and locking it away where i can't get it has been the difference between you know between making good decisions and bad, as I moved out of that 20, 2016 year,
1: yeah, even that small barrier to entry can lower your time preference.
2: Yeah, and it is a habit to build, right? And when you build For that sure. habit, then it's there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: <clears throat> so we kind of pivot here. Um, Cody and I are deeply interested in intentional communities. Um, we've kind of uh, started a hostile takeover of an intentional community <laughs> monthly podcast. That our friend Jake Lindsay, founder of Childerberg, uh, started. Um, so, as you've described it, you've got an, a kind of an unintentional intentional community. Um, you touched on a little bit on how that got started, but we'd like to kind of hear more of the details. Like, how how did you decide to invite the first person in, and, and then what were the decisions for the additional people? Because I met uh, Jenny and Nighthawk at Jack's, and they like. It's very interesting how different people you all seem to be.
0: You're muted if you didn't muted. know.
2: I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. No I worries. dropped my. I dropped something and it hit mute. Um, so we are all very different people, and but we're the same in a lot of ways. We love each other. We support each other. We acknowledge that they're, you know, we all have our mental health issues and our health issues, and we all have our talents that we're good at. The way it came to be, though, I don't think this would be here without the podcast. When I started talking about homesteading practices and taking ownership of your life and learning to add... You know, when something bad happens, you can do two things. You can let that choke you and not move forward, or you can find the one good thing in it and do the best with it that you can. And I know that sounds oversimplified and very like happy. That's so happy together. Like, I don't know, but it works when when you stop living in the despair and you start looking for the solutions, you find a solution. And it may not be the best solution that could ever be. But if you spend too much time looking for the best solution, then you end up with no solution and no action at all. And that's what the podcast ended up being centered around. And and people started hearing that and and liking that message. And then they would, you know, I I threw a party. (laughs) And a whole bunch of people came and I just said, it's a party. Come, I don't even know who you are. Like, I'm making hamburgers on Saturday night. You guys got to figure out your food. We might have to poop in the woods because I don't know how much my septic system can take, but we're going to do this. And we did this party. Nighthawk was at it. And we sat there and I was really glad I didn't charge money or do an event because I learned all of the weaknesses of my property in in that one event and the things that would have to be covered for in a paid event. And I remember sitting there with Nighthawk saying, okay, so if I ever did a paid event, what would we need to do? And we had this talk. And at that time he lived in, in Pennsylvania. Well, next thing that happened is a house came up for rent nearby and somebody who didn't work out rented that house. And the thing that worked is that like I own my place and that house is, you know, their place and uh, everybody owns their own little kingdom. We're near each other, but not on top of each other. And over time, it, it went from, you know, that person moving back out because it just wasn't a good fit to me buying that place with tactical and turning it into a rental and Jenny's our renter. And then the place next door is owned by somebody who I have a relationship with and they rented that to Nighthawk. And then I have a guest house on my property and I rented that to tactical and pretty much we've worked purposefully to develop relationships with the owners around us because it's just bare land around us that if they ever decide to sell let me know and let us put the first bid in. And, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But the goal is to have ownership around the hauler homestead so that people who move in have shared values. And what that means is that we prioritize wholesome food raised from our land. Different pieces of land raise different things, right? Like Jenny's house would be really good for vegetables. I'm raising rabbits and ducks here. And I have pigs, but then there's the woods across the street that would be better for the pigs. The guy next door has rabbits. And, and and it's just because every piece of land has different exposure to the sun and different terrain. But if we all do the things that we love on our land and then trade with each other or come and do projects at each other's houses to help whoever needs help get ahead, then the whole community benefits. Um, what we ended up doing after just organically people moved in is we started having what we call holler family meetings. Anybody can call one and then we'll have an agenda and talk it through usually over dinner on a Sunday. And then we also decided to do shared meals on Tuesdays and Thursdays and a different person cooks at a different house. So we have this like roving meal that doesn't happen all the time, but happens sometimes. And that just helps us connect and keep the relationships going and air the bad laundry which of course comes up in any intentional community and then go from there. And I would say if I'm looking forward at the holler neighbor community, I would say it's, it would not be surprising to me if some of the neighbors who are here now leave and other people come in and it's not just a roving thing, but, but I think what currently works is ownership is well-defined. And so you don't have somebody, you know, telling somebody else what color they can paint their house. Right. or if they're allowed to have a dog.
0: Yeah, I am so glad that you brought that up, because that's something that we've been, I mean, we've been talking about for like a year on this intentional community roundtable that we do. And um, I i even saw it in, in this, it was like a small township that they were trying to build on the just outside city limits where I live. And uh, it ended up being one guy's a dictator, and he literally had rules about dogs on leashes and stuff like that. And everyone was like, this is not why we came here.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can do it that way. And I think it works if everybody knows what they're buying into, but
0: mm-hmm. yeah. His yeah. has changed that's, over time. It just part, kept yeah. getting more weird.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, I was Paul just Lorton at a model. conference called exit and build and they had, you know, different perspectives of different intentional communities. And there were a lot of communal ownership examples there which can work if, if you have a system of like clarity, like clarity is the most important thing, clarity of what you're getting into. And then when you get there, that's what it is. And I think it's important to have a trial period with people. You know, we didn't just move Jenny in, for example, having met her off the street. We knew Jenny for a couple of years before she moved here. You know, most, most people who come in here, either listen to the podcast or come to a, a get shit done event where we just, we basically we descend on somebody's homestead somewhere in the, in the state and build something all at once because many hands make light work. Well, there's a whole wider GSD network here. And then people from that made it may express interest to, to living near here. And then we still need to get to know you because you just, you inherit, when you have close neighbors you inherit the good and the bad yeah
0: so when you're inviting a new person in are you like are you sitting down at one of these sunday dinners and talking like everybody talks about it before you make that decision like is it a is it like a 100 percent consent type of thing or what do you do
2: i wish i had a rule okay and i don't <laughs> okay um we've only i mean we've only really let people in twice and there are only four households here right now. And, you know, there are some other people who want in when we have the availability. And and the way that's been done is we just sit down and talk, but we don't have a formal vote. It's just it is consensus. Yeah. We do all agree. But I think if one person didn't agree, we might still let somebody in. I don't know for sure, because we haven't had that come up. We've had usually when somebody says that person's a weirdo there's a reason they've said that person's a weirdo. And then we we Mm want to look into that some more. And then it either is let go or not let go.
1: Okay. Makes sense. Definitely just want to especially make sure that you're not bringing in takers. I know that's something you've expressed a lot. Yeah. So we do. weeds itself out on its own with the get shit done.
2: Yeah. Doers and takers are a big thing. If you, if you have a community of doers who are not a bunch of um, well, busy bodies who care about stuff. That's none of their business. It, then you have an easier foundation to pull from. But I would say what I've realized about the unintentional intentional community, because it was never my plan to do this, is that we are now in the process of discussing well, if we're going to have processes that make sense, that we're willing to stick to, and none of us like administrative steps for things, let's find the basic minimum that needs to happen for this to happen. And one of those is how we make decisions. We are still talking that out over dinner like how do we make decisions and and we have had like the biggest I would say the biggest problem center we've had here or or anger or you know like those points of tension have been around somebody didn't communicate things clearly somebody thought somebody else was in charge of something and so what we've learned is we need to be more purposeful about closing loops it needs to be clear about who's in charge of which project and those sorts of things so we're in the middle of working a lot of that out because we didn't just start and say hey we're going to be a community we we woke up one day and we're like well god damn we're a community aren't we <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: man, yeah. that's really interesting um so i guess it's a good Point here to pivot into how are conflicts handled. So when you've got some issues like that, um, you just said it's kind of uh, something that's evolving. You don't have a set process for, but what what might that look like when there when there are some issues of whose task is it? Who's supposed to be in charge of whatever project? How is that handled?
2: Oh, you know, it comes to your attention there's a problem, and sometimes that can be as a result of somebody yelling at somebody or throwing something, sure. or or somebody sends a message or an email or, or talks to you and says, Hey, you know, I'm feeling, you know, tension about this issue. And what has been very fortunate in, in our ways of communicating with each other is while we do snap at each other, sometimes in anger, like everybody does in the entire world, uh, that doesn't happen too much. It's usually somebody walks away, comes back two days later after they thought about it and says, I want to talk about this. This isn't working. It makes me feel bad. And you may or may not be intending to make me feel bad, but this is why I feel bad. And we need to work it out. And then sometimes when they say that, it makes the other person feel bad and they need a couple days to think about it. So there's time involved here. Uh, but what has happened when we're all ready to sit at the table so far, is that we say, okay, you know, what's the big picture thing we need to do here? What's not working about this? And, you know, the biggest thing we've had issues with are people not living up to their commitments. Mm -hmm. So I I agree to deliver, I'm just making this up, I'm going to deliver a rick of firewood to Nighthawk and Monday comes and Monday, Monday does what Monday does and that rick does not get delivered and I'm exhausted and I just go to bed and don't tell him. That would be a cause of tension because the thing he was expecting didn't happen. He was counting on it. And so that's something where we say, "Okay, we need a better communication channel because it's perfectly reasonable for me if I've had a weird messed up day to say, you know what? I just had a weird messed up day. I can't get this rick of firewood up there and not get the cold I have right now. So something needs to happen. Can somebody help? Nighthawk, can you come get your own damn firewood for my house? Like whatever it is. And it's that, like, learning to be more purposeful about closing that loop has happened because we realized what was happening is life was happening, things were getting dropped, communication was not happening, or somebody would communicate to me when they needed to communicate to somebody else, and then I didn't pass it on, because I don't always. Sometimes I'm just, like, in my own little podcast world, and you said it, I didn't really hear it, and I didn't think, oh, and now I need to let this other person know to close the loop. Um, So what has happened is literally we talk and we, again, it usually ends up being a holler family meeting or it starts as a text because we have group text set up on telegram that we use. We have Zello that we can use. That's a a walkie talkie app on your phone. We have actual walkie talkies that we can use and it's somebody will bring it up. However, they're most comfortable and everybody's different. You know, occasionally like we have one person who prefers a one-on-one. So they'll come to whoever first and then that person facilitates bigger discussion and we have like most of us are just like i'm just gonna put it out there and we're gonna deal with this and and that's helpful is being willing to be vulnerable and say you hurt my feelings or i feel undervalued because of this and and it's not easy to hear that and it's not easy to say that but you have to get over it and say that so that you can address the underlying issue
1: yeah that's a really thorough answer i appreciate that yeah Uh, sorry
2: that was long wasn't it no that was excellent no, I, I, was,
1: I was coming up with follow-up questions as you were talking and you were covering them before I could even ask so it's perfect mm. um, that's really interesting to have the the group involved in some of those kind of conflict resolutions or whatever you want to call them when it's something that may not involve more than just the two people I think having those outside perspectives really helps probably helps to quell tensions on both sides
2: yeah mm. well and I can tell you like addition of Jenny to the group because she's been in the last five years going through a lot of realization of how to take ownership of your life. And she's addressed a lot of just childhood issues, like having her come to the table and say, these these are the tools I've been given through my psychological work to deal with problems. And she'll just be like, so we have a problem and we're going to deal with it. That model has has really helped. It was very good that she came to the holler when she did in part for that reason, because Mm -hmm. she'll be like, you guys aren't communicating and you need to communicate with me or it's going to be, you know, it's not going to go well. So we need to address this. And this these are the tools that we have and we can use these tools. Let me know when you're ready. And then she's great. Let me know when you're ready to use these tools cuz when you say something like that to somebody they're not ready right then. Right. They need to think about it for 2 days.
1: Yeah, somebody somebody like that that's just more emotionally mature like in, in the full spectrum of emotions is yeah. super critical for a group of like homesteady, tough ass people to just yeah. be like, All right, you're feeling things. It's okay to feel them. Let's find a healthy way to resolve this. Yeah, that's huge.
2: And we have a running joke. So the, the two guys in the neighborhood, we call them the rednecks. And if I ask a redneck, a yes or no question, I never get a yes or no answer. I get a, maybe we can do that. I get different answers and then they'll say it. And now the running joke is, is that redneck for yes or redneck for no? <laughs> and then they'll say something else that's not yes or no. And I'll say, I think that's redneck for no. And they'll, then they'll finally be like, yeah, that was a no. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, we're coming from, so I'm a strong personality. And, and then they came through the podcast. So there's a certain amount of, wow, she seems so together because she has this podcast that's going on when people meet you and you have that. And I think that they don't like to say no to me. Like people just don't like Mm -hmm. to say no to me because I'm like, Hey, let's do this thing. We can go this way. Everybody come and join me. Let's do it. That's how I work. And sometimes I need people to say no to me when what I'm saying is really stupid. And Mm -hmm. over the years they've gotten better at doing that. But at first it would be like, well, I don't want to say no because she usually knows what she's doing. Well, sometimes she's just making a good guess and it's not a good guess
1: yeah yeah it's important to have that dynamic both directions Mm -hmm. Mhm. Cody do you have anything I feel like I've kind of commanded uh the questions no you're good I'm letting you um I
0: (laughs) I was just I was just thinking in in my own personal life like I've definitely noticed that because like I kind of have had this attitude since I was a kid that like I'd rather be right even if that means that you correct me and so when I start doing I'll start doing what you do where it's like hey let's go do this and then if someone has an objection, I need them to say it, otherwise I just you know go full bore into whatever it is we're doing. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, because you'll learn as you go, right? And I have screwed up, I I, I don't know if you know this, but I've built like three or four different chicken tractors that sucked. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, I need a chicken tractor. And I like like I lost 40 birds once because it wasn't built very well. Oh, and man. you know you know, and like if I if I if tactical had been in the neighborhood at that point. And help me do that. He would have been like feeling partially responsible for that. But if he would have said, no, I don't think your design is good, which he will do now, um, then it would have been better. It's just sometimes when you're operating alone, which I was for a long time here, um, (laughs) you're like, I just I need a smokehouse to smoke the ham. I've never built a smokehouse. The Internet (laughs) is unhelpful on this matter. I will build a smokehouse and it will either work or not.
0: (laughs) Right. And if it
2: doesn't, I'll figure out why. (laughs)
0: You know, something that just uh, came to mind, I think that's easy to forget is that, um, you know, I I think all of this kind of comes back to whose thing is it. So I have this phrase, you know, that's their thing. And so whoever's thing it is, like, it's good to, to give advice or to take advice. But ultimately, you know, it's like when your friend is you're helping your friend work on his car and you're getting ready to pull the broken part out and he's like, hold on, let me do it so that if that breaks in my hands, it's my fault. And yeah. ultimately, you just have to remember, like, whose whose project it is or whose house it is and respect that no matter what happens. But I, I think, yeah, it's, it's great to have that open line of communication before you get to that point.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. There's there's been a lot of talk kind of revolving around that topic. Uh, during this conversation, it reminds me of something that we've learned from Jake again with the, the Quakers, the way that they do their decisions basically is everything has to be 100% in agreement if they're going to use church funds to do something. Mm-hmm. If somebody has some pet project they want to do, they're welcome to do that thing on their own time with their own money. But when it involves everybody, they've got to have unanimous consent. But, yeah, you know, Anybody can do their thing and get you know, 99% of the other people to help them out with it and just get it done. But it's it's got to be their thing. So they they delineate really well with the ownership of those things, mm-hmm. it seems.
0: Yeah. Really his, uh, his story that he always tells with that is that his old congregation that he was in, uh, all the older folks never wanted AC because they said, we haven't had AC our entire lives and we've been fine so far. And so finally, one of the younger people who had the money to do it just installed it themselves because they were tired of arguing. <laughs> so, and that's how, <laughs> that's how you get it done. Somebody just gets pissed off enough to finally go ahead and just get it done, um, you know, because it doesn't hurt anyone else. But you couldn't use your funds to do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of we've moved from, oh, crap, we're, we're a community. And now we need to think about how that works to projects. And food projects are the thing. And who wants to produ- participate financially in which food projects? So now we have pigs. And what we decided was anybody who wants to put in on the pigs, you know, everybody throws 200 in the pot and we work on the pigs. When it comes time to sell the pigs, you get a percentage, you an equal percentage of whatever profit and or just the meat, right? Because we have... We have six pigs now. Three of them are being processed mm-hmm. this winter. I plan to do a processing class. There will be profit from that. The neighbors will help me with events set up and tear down and making sure people get fed good food and all of those things. And then at the end of it, there's money. And well, hopefully there's money. You know, that's the plan. And and there's meat. And that, that meets our shared priority of getting value from our land and getting food from the land, but also if there can be a financial payoff for the, the neighbors, then that's good for them too, because then they're starting to make money from the neighborhood and not just me making money from the neighborhood. Mm-hmm.
0: So, okay. So I kind of want to compare that model because the way that I always thought about doing it was like, we were talking about earlier with pre-selling the coffee. Um, do you think like, I, I don't know how to, I, I don't know what the question is, but uh if you like, do you think it would be better or worse, or like, what what do you think about the difference between that and like pre-selling the pig and saying, okay, like I'm I'm the one running the pig, so I'm going to make all the decisions, but I'm going to be transparent about it with you. I might invite you to come help with them one day, but ultimately I'm doing a project and you're investing in it. And at the end, I'm either going to give you pigs or you know sell it on your behalf so that you can get the money um, that way.
2: It's, it, this is this is where we're still experimenting right so the holler roast coffee business sometimes different neighbors help with it and i pay them for their time mm-hmm. sometimes they say just pay me in coffee so i just give them coffee in exchange for their their time mm-hmm. and and that's my business unit and i run it the way i want to run my business unit so that's similar to that now they they haven't put in coffee future money on it, but all of them have helped with my coffee business, particularly between now and Christmas when we sell a bunch of gift coffee, right? Yeah. There may be a day where Jenny comes over, it's her day off and she packages a bunch of coffee to help me ship it out the door. Or Tactical may build something for the the to make coffee easier. And and that's we we try to track that incident by incident because if we don't we forget. And then there's just no way to catch up with that. That's why the whole concept of holler dollars has come up where we want to have a tokenized way of interacting with each other because everybody needs different help with different things. Likewise, we have rabbits being raised by Nighthawk that if I want to eat one of his rabbits, I need to give him money for that or I need to give him coffee for that. Right? So the way that's happening right now is very informally where the pigs are a communal project and everybody will benefit. Equally, and we've decided, to, and one person is in charge of it. So there's a final decision maker. Mm-hmm. Okay. Different people have different areas of interest. Where you know Jenny's a massage therapist, needs her lawn mown. she might trade a lawn mowing for a, a massage. So we have a barter thing going on there. And then cold hard cash speaks. Sometimes you just you know you need something done, you got a thousand dollars, you pay the thousand dollars. And where we've been looking at going next is tokenizing the dollars and like literally the pig project is the first time we're working on this where we know we need cash because we need some external inputs and that's the first pool of holler dollars it's in it's literally sitting in a cup right now physically while we figure out how we tokenize that
0: Right. Okay. So, and it can
2: just be 20s with H's on them that we hand back and forth to each other and never leave the holler. Like, I don't even know how that's going to work. But I also have the ability to make a token in cryptocurrency. I do know how to do that. So, yeah,
0: I know they've it's got just, everybody websites.
2: needs to use it on their phone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My, I guess, okay. So, this we'll go ahead and get into the last section here since you brought it up. Um, <laughs> so, the holler dollar idea, because I listened to that episode where you talked about it and now we're talking about it. Um, I guess. My question, because I'm I'm like one of those hardcore Bitcoin guys. Um, yeah. My question would be whether whether you stay in USD or you use a crypto. Um, why to me it's like why do we need to use a token when we could just use the actual money? Because like I remember um, I was I was listening to a Bob Murphy show episode and he's you know an, an economist about where he mentioned that like. Even in a a grocery store, like, let's say you're working at Walmart, each department actually, like, interacts monetarily, so, like, they'll say, um, you know, one department has to actually, like, buy things from the other departments, like, you're buying from maintenance, and that's how it gets accounted, and, you know, he, he was saying that, like, his old coworker had asked, like, well, why do they need to do that? It's all the company's money, and it's just because you're accounting for every little thing that happens so that you're not blowing money on things that don't need to be blown, so I'm thinking if if it's a group project, then you almost could have like uh the Holler LLC and then it all just you know that way you're not doing sales tax and everything between each other because you're part of the you know part of that LLC together and it just becomes sort of an accounting thing on the back end of the LLC.
2: Right. That that's actually how Holler dollars got born was the idea that maybe we could just be an LLC. Mm -hmm. and it's interdepartmental transfer. And this is not me giving business advice at this point, because where I'm at with this is I'm talking to lawyers Mm -hmm. and CPAs so that we are not committing tax fraud. Right. Because, you know, we, I don't feel like I should have to pay tax because I got my neighbor's rabbit and he got some of my pork. Right. Mm -hmm. But if we do it wrong, then suddenly we, we do have to pay tax on that. And, And so the holler dollar concept was merely a way to not have to shuffle cash around. If we can do it on this small black device that I'm holding up, you can't see right now, but I'm holding it up that is in my pocket all the time. Then when something happens at the time it happens, we can be like, Oh yeah, this happened and we're done because all of us hate tracking. And, and so like, Hitting hitting a button on a uh, you know whether it's holler dollars or a spreadsheet on my phone I don't care, but it has to be easy, it has to be instant, it has to be intuitive for it to work, or we won't use it because none of us like paperwork,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and and that's the deal.
0: Yeah, and that that was something I was thinking about. Like if you were going to use you know Bitcoin or anything else, is um I guess the reason why I would personally choose to use like Bitcoin with the Lightning Network would be like it this is a this is a good that has a real market value and so you're not dealing with the issue of, you know, if if I create hollow dollars and in my head while I was listening I was thinking that these were just pieces of paper. So obviously you're talking about using, you know, something that is on like a a phone. Like a wallet wallet. on my phone or
2: whatever. Yeah.
0: Um But I was thinking, like, it, it gets kind of weird because now there's like an arbitrary, okay, this many holler dollars is a chicken, but then this many holler dollars is a lawn mowing or whatever. And it's, Right. I, I think it, it gets weird when you try to determine what those prices are. So if you could say, well, here's, here's my business that I'm running, here's how much a lawn mow costs, okay, so ha- this is how much Bitcoin it is or whatever, and then... It, the only the only problem that I'm having because I see what you're doing where it's like you have to keep it within the system in order to not be taxable because if it goes outside yeah. the system then all of a sudden it's, you're playing with real money and, and that's you know like playing with fire but it, you know so there's like there's a couple different systems called uh, there's one called LND hub and there's another one called mm-hmm. LNBits, bits and both of those are basically one person has a lightning node and this program runs in the background which allows you to create accounts that run through the node, so that way, like, um, for example, Blue Wallet, which is one of the newer Bitcoin wallets, has Lightning that runs that way on LND Hub. Yeah. Where it's it's custodial Lightning because it's not on your phone. Your phone isn't a Lightning wallet. Right. There are there are wallets right. that are, but with Blue Wallet, it's easier for them to say, "Hey, you just log in here. We know how much you get, and it's there, and we'll move it when you move it." But the problem is, I can still send it out of that Blue Wallet L&D hub into someone else's Lightning Wallet that isn't part of that hub or community in this case. So that's where, like, coming into this, I was like, "Ah, I don't even know if I want to talk about it because my solution that's in my head, treating it as a real money... I can't figure out how to make that non-taxable the way you're talking. So it's like crap. Right, well, and that's like, we both literally have an argument what I'm here. talking
2: about. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, so interdepartmental transfers can be taxed depending on what they are. That's what I'm learning oh, right really? now. Right? Oh, really? Yeah, so it okay. and And then there's like this weird thing where, well, if I'm buying something for me that's for my own sustenance, that's not obviously a business expense, that's where you can run into some weirdness. And that's where I say, like, I'm still learning about it and trying to figure yeah. it out and seeing is what's the loophole and how does it work? Because intentionally committing tax fraud and then telling all the podcast listeners to do the same thing mm-hmm. is a bad idea. But if we don't ask the question, how can this be done? We'll never find the solution. And where I was at, because I learned how to tokenize Bitcoin cash is, I mean, I have Nicole Bucks. They exist out yeah, there. They're. Oh, what and, is that? Some
0: of the wallets do that. Somebody gave me some for another podcast. Yeah, time. yeah,
2: yeah. And 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 I'm like, I'm a little less worried about if somebody cashes out because we do have a cash out capacity here too. Then if, it, but you know, but the people who are in using the holler dollars and want to use holler dollars for holler dollar things, mm-hmm. they're not worried about cashing out. And the one person who decides, screw the holler, I'm done okay, fine. You cashed out.
0: Right. But they're th- okay. at that point, they might even be moving out too. So it's like a whole exit. Yeah. <laughs> like if
2: everybody cashes out at once, then the whole thing falls apart and we're done. And, right. and mm-hmm. it's an experiment we did that didn't work, but it's, it's something that seems to make sense to me because, you know, I look at intentional communities and the ones that seem most successful and enduring acknowledge that different community members will give a different amount of their time, energy, mental capacity and or dollars, actual wealth, to the community as they are able to do. And that doesn't mean everybody gets an equal share and equal inputs. Mm-hmm. They have ways, even the farm has ways of tracking how, you know, what your value was and, and how that works. And that, I think that helps eliminate the he's not working hard enough thing. If somebody mm-hmm. wants to sit on their butt in the field of flowers reading books every day, and all they ever want to do is cook a meal and they are, you know they have other ways of, of covering their their basic needs. versus somebody who is really interested in being a badass massage therapist who sees lots of patients and heals people, It's fine. They're gonna be two different standards of living and both people are happy and there's no problem with that. It is only a problem when the the, when one of them expects more from the other or expects more than what they are putting in. Yeah.
0: So I guess that's that is kind of where I'm coming from as like a a sound money guy, is that you almost cause the way that I've envisioned what we're doing down in Texas now, uh, with Mm children town to be is that basically i would have to run my business whether that's my meadery because i'm a mead brewer um or if i decide to get into livestock because i do want to kind of have at least enough as a, at a homestead level that would feed my friends too um to me it, it seems like what i would do is say i'm going to actually sell it to you but i'm going to do it in the way that a private club works because uh, my my whole thing with the community is that episode from TSP that's what about a private club so if if we do it where there's a club membership fee and then everyone who's in the club is the only one who can take from the club mm-hmm. then to me what all you really need to do is price it correctly you say okay here's what we're doing this year here's what all the costs are going to be you know that we can at least foresee and here's what i need you to put in and so um what i've done uh and i don't you know i'm going to say this on air but i'm going to say it very carefully is um <laughs> I I have done some fundraisers where I said, "Hey, help me buy some honey because we're trying to do something cool." And so our event, Chill to Bird, which is a an- one once a year annual event, uh, and it's just a big camping trip, and everybody goes out and gets a little too drunk, and you know. I won't say what else, but yeah, uh, uh, it, it, it's a libertarian Burning Man, think of it like that. So, and I brought my yeah. big thing is that I bring a whole bunch of homebrew and everybody tries it, and we do like a mott tasting, like we're at a winery, and it's been really fun. Fun. But I've I've said to people, hey, um, I'm going to be doing this flavor, but here's the problem: honey's really expensive. I need to get it at a good price. The bulk rate is a minimum. It's like 150 bucks to get a 40 pound bucket. Um, but yeah. that'll last me like the whole, you know, happy year at that point. And then, you know, I was also I was using muscadine grapes, which also were like 150 bucks just for the grapes to go yeah. in it. So I I priced it out. I did all the math on it. And I said, OK, here's what a bottle costs. If anybody wants to donate, um, we'll make sure that we can all drink together at the camping trip. And this is this is really just a way to make sure that I can bring it right. So right. that's kind of the way that I look at any businesses. It, I, I just, you know, it's that like pre-buy-in thing. Like, hey, I, I would rather you, I would rather be set and say, I know that I owe you this much and here's where the money came from and here's where it's sitting than than to say, you know, I, I guess, do you, do you know what I'm trying to get at? Because I kind of, I feel like if, if I do it as a, if like a group thing where we all kind of agree to come pitch in, but we're not really sure when that person is going to want the stuff that kind of freaks me out. Cause I would rather just say, okay, I've said that I'm going to bring this to this place on this day and this is how much I owe you, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, that goes back to who's running the project and what the project looks like where, you know, okay, so let's do something completely like not illegal. Mm hmm. Coffee. I roast coffee. In order to roast coffee, I need to buy 120-pound bags of beans. And this year I almost did this and I didn't, because there's gonna be there is gonna be a coffee bean shortage, but it's not gonna be the thing that they say on the news where you just can't get it. It's just the price is going up because of shipping and stores are lower. And so right now, if I buy 12 bags, which is a lot of coffee on a pallet, it's going to be, it's about maybe 5,500 bucks or $6,000 for me to do that. And what I could do is say, Hey, a roasted pound of coffee is 18 bucks or 20 bucks, or it depends on the coffee and everybody who buys in this month, you're locking in that rate because in March when it's higher, it's going to be more expensive, but I'm going to buy a pallet now. I'm going to put it in a building and until those beans are gone, you get this rate locked right? It's the same idea. I'm pre-selling coffee and then they get coffee space credits and then they can get it whenever they want to from me. So then they don't have to store a bunch of roasted coffee that goes sale. With your mead, it's kind of the same thing. I need to have at least 300 bucks to be able to bring 30 bottles. And so it's 10 bucks a bottle. Buy your bottle. That's, you know, because it's mead, there are a whole bunch of other things that you're doing there that you're not supposed to do. So that's a different thing. But it it's the same concept. What you're doing is saying donate so this can happen and I'm giving it away, and that's perfectly legal. Yep. And well, you're, and not, guarantee, you're not guaranteeing somebody gets the bottle. Yeah. When it's something that's not regulated like alcohol is, um, suddenly you can be a little bit more you know, like a little bit more clear on what you're talking about.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's that. been what I've said every single time is look, I'm just a guy who brings home brew to share with my friends. And then on the back mm-hmm. end, I'm going, hey, if you, you know, help me out, I'll consider you a friend before someone else who hasn't helped me out. But that's also just yeah. building rapport, and that makes sense. Or at least it's yeah. plausible, you know.
2: Yeah, just it, it, where you run into trouble is if you're selling a bottle. And yeah. So don't. Don't yeah. ever do that. It's, yeah. you know, it's just homebrew you're sharing. Yeah. And my Whatever. whole goal
0: is just, I, I want to get bigger equipment and I want people to help pay for that. But again, I'm not selling the bottles. I just want my friends to be interested in me being able to bring more because more people keep showing up to this event.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the other thing you could do with bigger equipment is um, rent access to it. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's like another way to raise money is you. Yeah, it's totally. that's So I have a freeze dryer here and those things cost, I mean, it costs 2,700 bucks entry level which is a lot of money and we got it because mom and i decided to go have these on it because we we do backpacking and i'm keto so i don't eat what you buy off the shelf for a backpacking meal and a friend of mine had one and gave me some freeze-dried hamburger and i went hiking and i was like this is this is awesome this tastes so good and i realized we could just freeze dry our meals it was way better than just dry drying them so she agreed to go have these with me and we got it. And then now it's it's something that different holler neighbors can access to freeze dry things. So Jenny's done some butternut squash soup. That's really good. I I did a whole candy experiment this year because I don't eat candy, but other people do. And they love freeze dried Skittles. And we have those, those for, sale for Christmas. Huh?
1: The Skittles were fire.
2: They were fire. Right. <laughs> yeah. And between now and Christmas, people are trying to look for that one thing to put in the stocking. So I'm doing a whole Skittles side hustle that I was not planning to do between now and Christmas. <laughs> and, and it is what it is. Right. But it's paying no. for itself because of that. But then when I don't need it to freeze dry milk, eggs or anything else, I can also say, OK, 20 bucks a day, you get to use it. I'll show you how to use it. And you can come freeze dry your stuff. And then that person who does that doesn't have to spend $2,700 to buy the thing. Right. And that just helps me, when I'm not using it, offset the cost of that giant piece of equipment. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If I
1: can jump backward just for a moment, um, I know you've looked some into the legality of the whole holler dollar idea with yes. the, trying to structure things as interdepartmental transfers and try to avoid like every transaction back and forth being a taxable event mm-hmm. is this something where like I, i'm trying to figure out how to sit, phrase this question i've been thinking about it for a few minutes and still lot to come up with it can you keep a basically a ledger in a spreadsheet without actually putting money back and forth until such a time that somebody needs to take something out of the system and then you actually uh square up at that point
2: you you can, but some of those ledger items may become taxable. Okay. And th- part of the issue is if I am using, where we're running into it is if I'm using the Holler Homestead LLC to pay for basic sustenance that has nothing to do with catering for an event or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. The, the eggs I get from the Holler Homestead, for me personally, are subject to grocery sales tax here in Tennessee. Well, actually, they're not for a different reason, but let's just pretend they are for this. Eggs are a bad example. And, and so then that, even though it's still internal, because it's for me personally, could be seen as taxable. And what you don't want to do is have a bunch of that and have it look like fraud or tax evasion and then get right. your butt thrown in jail. Yeah. And, and that's those lines are where, and I, it, what the issue is, is I haven't taken the step to pay for the consultation to figure that out. And I haven't figured out all, all my use cases. So I know what they are. I've just done, I've gotten some preliminary feedback that says some of the things that you want to do should be taxable events. Even if money's not exchanging hands, it could be taxable events. And, oh. you know, think about that. So, you know, there's a difference between a holler neighbor catered meal and Nicole sauce having two eggs and four pieces of bacon for lunch. Yeah.
1: So you're kind of just like blazing a whole new trail here. Yeah. Ugh.
2: Yeah. Well, and then like, so then think about the scale I just told you. Does the federal government give a fuck about two pieces, four pieces of bacon and two eggs? No. No. But could they? if a whole bunch of people learn from it and it's suddenly a hundred thousand pieces of bacon. Right. If
1: you're the person who started everybody doing that there, they will be real interested.
2: Yeah. And that's why I, I want to, I want to figure out where those lines are for my own good. Yeah. It's it's not because I want to comply to the nth degree of the law. I just want to know what, what am I looking at? What's my risk? And then I can make my decisions.
0: yeah I was going to say that it's a we're all trying to avoid becoming the next Russell Brick really yeah Yeah. Yeah.
2: man yeah but then we're also looking at like we're raising pigs the person putting the most work in on the pigs is tactical the second person putting the most work in is me monetarily Jenny's put some money in and then anybody who brings scraps helps feed the pigs there's going to be the D-Day Everybody will help process the pigs and then everybody wants meat. And why should that be taxable? It shouldn't. But, you know, you look at what would be fair is half the pigs go to to tactical and the rest go to the rest of us. Probably, I would think in the in the the division of how this works. And if you think about it, if a neighborhood was raising a pig and one household took care of it and everybody brought their scraps, the household would get half and the neighborhood would get half. Right. That would be fair
1: yeah sense. Hmm. yeah
2: and, and so we just try to look at things that way like how is that going to work who gets the ham <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so um yeah. i guess to to try to come back around and start wrapping this up uh, what what were what are some suggestions that you have for folks looking to start their own intentional communities and i guess to follow that up what are the top three infrastructure elements, because I I remember listening to you saying that um, there's a lot that you had to go back and redo. So like, what are the top three things that you would have looked into and done differently from the start of this?
2: I think the first thing on an intentional community that you need to think about is why do I need to be in an intentional community versus anything else? Is there a compelling reason? Because a lot of times there isn't. What you're looking for is community, not necessarily intentional community. And that's that's something that's important to know because there's a big difference in time commitment between those two things. Intentional community takes a lot more time. And because of that, if what you really want is a support network like the Tennessee GSD crew, go find that. In fact, if you think you want intentional community, go find that anyway and, and exist in that and learn how those things work so that you have some basic skills as you go into an intentional community. And then from there, figure out what your priorities are separate from politics, because a lot of people are coming into this world thinking, I need to be with libertarians or I need to be with liberals or I need, whatever. Uh, that I understand why it feels like that matters. But, when you strip life down to its priorities, it doesn't matter. Maybe respect for property ownership matters. But that's not necessarily one political philosophy over another. And we just attach mm-hmm. that to political philosophies. And you will notice when you talk to real people in the real world that there's a lot of respect for property rights across many fol- political um philosophies. So, to strip it down to what your real priorities are and and learning how to accept differences in other people. If you are ever going to be in an intentional community, you need to be there. You need to be able to say like, wow, we like literally don't agree on God and God's really important to me. Right. Okay. That's okay. I can't control you and you can have your beliefs on God and I can have my beliefs on God and we can still have share priorities and when you learn to let go of things that are none of your business i think you're just in a much better position to function well in an intentional community so that's the first piece and then infrastructure for me it's related to homesteading right Mm -hmm. if i had a perimeter fence my entire world would be way better (laughs) and i still don't after 15 years so i think um in hindsight, had I known what permaculture was before I bought this place, my life would be better because I would have analyzed this property property differently at first. And it wasn't until I was about 10 years in that I totally went back and realized, dang it, permaculture is a thing in my gardens in the wrong place. And, and, um, the way that I have fertility moving around this property is a lot of work and nothing feeds anything. And this is bullshit. And I need to go back and redo it all. And that's what I've been doing is going back and redoing it all. So if you, if you hear this and you don't know what permaculture is, go learn about it, read about it. It is worth every penny to pay a consultant, a boat ton of money to come out and help you establish your priorities and figure out stuff before you start. Because it will save you a lot of, you know, redoing of retaining freaking walls, which is what I'm doing right now Um, in your future. Yeah, I'm like literally redoing an entire hillside because I didn't understand. And now I understand. And and I could have been saved that had I known that that even existed, that permaculture existed and that I wanted low maintenance and things that feed each other. that was it. I just ended, I like to eat things off my land. Like that's what I needed to know. It's not a big thing. I needed to know how water moves on my property. Now I know, and there's a lot of water in Tennessee. So we're, we're (laughs) facing the opposite challenge that most people have. I like, I got too much water. Now what do I do? So, except for the year where we don't have any water that will come too. So we have to have kind of that bridge. So really there aren't three infrastructure things, but I would say perimeter fencing and a plan that makes sense for your priorities is are there are the two things. Yeah.
1: It seems like it kind of boils down to taking that observation time really seriously before. Oh yeah. Don't do
2: anything for a year, man. (laughs) (laughs) You want chickens? Don't get them.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. All right. A couple fun ones to end with. Uh, What's your favorite song for karaoke? Dude,
2: there's no, there's no favorite song. There is no favorite song. I like a good sing-along because the point of karaoke is to get people entertained. Yeah. And so, you know, if you like Sweet Caroline or something, it doesn't matter if I like it. It matters if people will sing along. And that is different by the audience. I think what was really fun at Jack's was he was live streaming some of the karaoke. And people were throwing in requests from YouTube. Yeah. And, and so then you, like, find yourself singing a song you never sang before. That was really fun. <laughs> sorry i don't have a good answer to that
1: feeling out the audience is important there because i'm like a big metalhead. that's yeah most of what i listen to and that's most of what not to sing at karaoke to win over the crowd correct Uh, yeah yeah, throw in the the family tradition the ironic
2: yeah i sang that one this year (laughs) i'd never sang that one before we
1: sang that one this year
2: oh yeah that's true we did didn't we (laughs) isn't it ironic (laughs) Yeah, Except for i couldn't say it i was like isn't it a bummer every time yep
0: <laughs> yeah i've learned that you never can go wrong with low places so
2: yeah see <laughs> and see there's a song i wouldn't listen to like normally but right people will love it yeah
0: help it only works when you're singing it drunk with other people so. <laughs> yeah yeah that happens
2: that happens at events here too all the time
0: <laughs> all right. So, I have uh, one more. It's, uh, what's your favorite Rose blend? Because I am looking at your website and I'm very overwhelmed with choices.
2: Oh, you're welcome. That is my brand new website that we just launched last week, which was not at all tense for me right before Black Friday. <laughs> um, but there it is. We've been rebuilding it since August. and. Wow. The my favorite hollow roast blend is the original, which, if you just type in hollow roast in the, se- in the search, it's hollow roast house dark. Okay, the dark roast, which is a blend of Brazilian Colombian beans roasted to a dark roast, is my original coffee that the whole business was built on. And it's a balance of a bright morning breakfast coffee and a nice chocolatey, caramelly coffee. And I just, it works well as an espresso, it works well in a cone, it works well as cold brew. So that's like your most versatile one. Um, I would say my second favorite is the Monsoon Malabar right now. Mm. And both of those are low acid on the stomach because I get indigestion if I have acidic coffees. So I don't like them.
0: Yeah, that was something that really impressed me when you were saying that on one of your episodes was we're going for like the chocolatey notes and the less acid and i'm like oh my gosh that sounds amazing yep.
2: well air roasting helps with that too so we it's the picture a giant hairdryer that's how i roast coffee uh-huh. and what that avoids is a drum roaster has the the contact with the beans on the metal and then a heat source underneath right mm-hmm. or, or or something with a you know an arm that moves it over a plate and that brings out more of the acidity of the coffee. We're, like, blowing that off. And that's, that's, that's so part cool. of why air roasting is a totally different experience for people than, you know, what, we, what you would get at a Starbucks or something. Mm-hmm.
1: Awesome. I'll, I'll speak highly for the Siegler roast, too. I don't know. You if like that the Siegler roast? Right. That's, so, yeah. yeah, Siegler
2: roast is hollow roast blend taken to an Italian level. So it's one step up, yeah. That's what I'm and, working through right
1: now, and it's yeah. We named
2: it Siegler because David Siegler loves who's a friend of mine. He just loves a really dark roast, and he was one of the early, early customers before I really knew what I was doing. Who That's committed awesome. to buying the same coffee every time.
0: That's awesome. All right, so thank you so much for coming on, Nicole. Uh, got any plugs? Yeah.
2: Yeah, if you want to just find out more about what I'm doing, check out my podcast. It's at livingfreeintennessee.com. We talk about building the life you choose on your terms, which is a combination of homesteading things, entrepreneurship, and just self development, life development. And then the second way to check me out is go to hollerroast.com and buy Christmas coffee because it makes a great gift and it's consumable so you don't end up with a bunch of crap in your living room. Absolutely. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) And it's high quality. And it is high quality. Yes, I'm pretty, pretty choosy about my beans. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: All right. So I hope you enjoy the episode and choose.
2: Peace and love.